listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, July the 22nd in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're taking a look at a lesson for the seventh Sunday after Pentecost, which is this coming Sunday, July the 28th. Uh, The lessons are from Psalm 138, Genesis 18, Colossians 2, and Luke 11. And the one we're going to be taking a look at is Colossians 2, 6 to 19. So without further ado, let's begin. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. That's a real interesting way to start a passage. What does it mean to have received Christ Jesus the Lord? This is the big difference between every other religion in the world and Christianity. In every other religion in the world, you make a decision to receive that God. Whereas in Christianity, God makes a decision to receive you. It's really quite a big difference because It really hits by grace through faith, which means what? By grace means there's nothing you can do, say, confess, invite, or whatever to get God on your side. In fact, God is on your side even when he gave the commandments. Remember in Exodus chapter 20, I am the Lord your God. And why does he say that? Because you made a great decision in wanting me to be your God, so I decided I'll become your God. No, no. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Those commandments are really guidelines as to how we are to behave when we realize that God has chosen us. It's kind of like parents. I am your father and mother, therefore, when you're living in this house, these are the benefits you're going to have. You'll have free clothes. You'll have free meals. You'll have free bedroom. You'll have free transportation. That's how, to read the original set of commandments, I am the Lord your God, therefore, the first benefit you're going to have is no other gods before me. The second benefit is you're going to be able to call upon me by using my name properly. The third benefit is you're going to be able to hear me in worship as you remember the holy day of worship. And each of the commandments is a gift from God that you have received because he chose you. Therefore, you received him. Uh, That's really an important word. We don't believe that we accept Christ. What do you mean we don't believe we? Don't we accept Christ as our Savior? Only after he has received us. For example, if you're talking about your parents, would you ever say, yes, when I was six years old, I accepted them as my parents? (laughs) No, you didn't. They already were your parents. And you received the status of being a child of your parents either 
because you were begotten or adopted. So right away, you can do a whole sermon just on this very first statement. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so therefore walk in him. Walking in him means enjoy the benefits that he provides you since he has decided to receive you. Verse 7 continues, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, this is really important because when the faith is spoken of, there's two ways to look at it. It can be the substance of the teaching, but it can also mean how you believe the teaching. And established in the faith, I like to think of it, that when the Apostle Paul was teaching the church at Colossae, the Holy Spirit created in them faith to agree with the ridiculous notions that Paul was telling them. That some carpenter from Nazareth died on the cross and therefore all your sins are forgiven? I mean, when you say it that way, it just doesn't make any sense at all. That's why faith is necessary. I have no problem why unbelievers don't believe in Christianity. Because it's really quite ridiculous what we have to say. That the God became a human being, that's called incarnation, born of a virgin woman, and suffered, died, rose, and ascended into heaven, and he's coming back on the last day. Don't tell me that doesn't take faith to agree with all of that. And that faith comes from the Holy Spirit. Based on the words of the Bible, which verse 8 really hits, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, boy, has that ever got a lot to say. You, you, you could do a couple of sermons just on verse 8 of Colossians 2. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Now, that's a word that actually comes from the Greek. It's, remember Philadelphia? That's the city of what? Brotherly love. Philosophy, the first word phileo, is love. It's kind of love of a brother. And Sophia is the word in the Greek for wisdom. So what's philosophy? Philosophy is using man's reasoning, and you love to use that, rather than the scripture. I, I find that there are a number of theologians who appear to be embarrassed that we have blind faith in the scripture. And they want to make a case that, no, it's reasonable. No, it's not. 
Christianity is the most unreasonable religion in the world. That's why it takes faith given by the Holy Spirit to believe it. I'll give you a good example. The Athanasian Creed is a reasonable understanding of the Trinity. But when you're finished reading the Athanasian Creed, where it's talking about one substance with the Father, there are not three almighties but one almighty, all that can be understood. But it really doesn't explain how the Trinity is put together. It's not an explanation. It is just a discussion from God's point of view that this is what the Trinity is, including Jesus, who has two natures. We talked about that yesterday in a Bible study I was conducting, that he has a divine nature and a human nature. When I was confirmed, my congregation had the practice of the three Sundays, The first Sunday was the questioning Sunday. The second Sunday was the actual confirmation. And the third Sunday was when you took the Lord's Supper. So I was in a congregation that had the Lord's Supper about once a month. And I remember the question, one of them I was asked by the pastor. He said, Tom, who's greater, the Father or the Son? And I said, the Father. He says, no, Tom, they're all equal. And then I gave him the Bible verse that's clearly stating, Jesus saying, and the Father is greater than I. You see, you have to make a distinction between Jesus in his state of humiliation where he did not make use of his divine prerogatives and authority and a state of exaltation. In the state of humiliation, the Father is greater than the Son. But in the state of exaltation, they are equal. I can't remember how the pastor responded when I gave him that Bible verse. I think he went on to a question to the next student. And my parents even asked me when I got home why I said that, and then I gave them more information on that. See, the Bible's not easy to explain, but it's easy to understand. What? The Athanasian Creed is an understanding of the Holy Trinity. It is not an explanation where we say, oh, that's how that works. No. It's an understanding of how God wants to be perceived as the Holy Trinity, And so philosophy tries to reason it out. I mean, when I was at the seminary, they used philosophy. These were false professors in trying to explain all the miracles. Like when Jesus fed the 5,000, you know what I was taught as an option? That people knew that they were going to be going on a mountain to hear Jesus. And so they had brought lunches along with them. But, of course, they didn't have lunchboxes. They would put it under their robes, maybe in a container. And when the little boy was willing to give his bread and fish, it embarrassed everybody. They took out their lunches and shared it with everyone, and that's how 5,000 people were fed. Or I was taught when Jesus supposedly was walking on the water, it was a big storm, 
waves were high. And the disciples didn't realize it, but they were looking at Jesus walking on the shore. But because of the waves, it looked like he was walking on the water. I mean, you get one explanation after another from the use of reason to try and explain how things happen. But no, explanation, the Bible hardly ever does. What it does, it just describes what we're talking about. It's really a big distinction. I'm not here to make sense out of Christianity. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the gospel is the most nonsensical thing that here we spit in the face of Jesus every day. It's called sin. And he forgives us every day. Find that in another religion anywhere. So don't be taken captive by people who are trying to reason out the Scripture or empty deceit according to human tradition. Now, that was definitely part of Judaism. Judaism was a different religion than the Old Testament religion. But remember that Pharisee? He thanks God he's not like the tax collector because he's following the ceremonial laws. So their tradition was if you follow the ceremonial laws, tithing, circumcising, slaughtering animals, then you will be saved. But those are traditions according to the elemental spirits of the world, which means the devil and his demonic crew, not according to Christ. Why? Listen to verse 9. For in him, that's Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Wow. In other words, when we meet Jesus in heaven, will he still be a human being? Yes. That's how he ascended into heaven. In other words, Jesus from his incarnation on will always be divine and human in nature. This is important to realize because it helps us. He can sympathize with us because he's gone through the things that we go through as a human being. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. That's really kind of important to understand There we can take a look at another metaphor that God uses, and that's the church is the body of Christ. And the head is always Jesus. You may be a hand, you may be a foot. Everybody is necessary in the body of Christ. In fact, if you're listening to the coffee hour just before this program, Uh, They were talking about DCEs, Directors of Christian Education, and uh, they have some 500 of them involved in congregations now in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Well, how do they decide what they're going to do? Well, during their training at the university, 
they're asked what are their likes and if they like teaching Sunday school or doing vacation Bible school or other areas they're specifically trained for that particular area so not all DCEs have the same gifts and therefore they often have different tasks to which they are assigned where the Holy Spirit has given them a gift Uh, For example, why am I on the radio? When I drive around in Uber, more than one person in talking to me says, you know, you sound like you have a radio voice. Now, I never realized that. I don't know what a radio voice is, but they complimented me on that and then gave me the opportunity to say, well, by the way, (laughs) I've been on the radio for many, many years, but you probably haven't heard of me. Uh, because I've only been on for 16 years, and they kind of laugh, and then we give them a card for KFUO so they can listen to us. But you see, that's probably one of the reasons that I was asked to be on KFUO, because my voice appears to be like a radio voice. There are a lot of other pastors who may know theology better than I do, but their voice gets in the way for radio broadcasting. And then there's a lot of areas I'm just not good at. I'm not that good at teaching three, four, five, and six-year-olds Sunday school. I just don't have the gift there. I like waiting till they're somewhat teenagers, confirmation, and adults. That's my forte. So all of us have Christ within us. And he's the head and rule and authority because he's the head. And therefore, all of us are parts of the body and all of us are necessary. Most importantly, verse 11, in him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What is he talking about? If we weren't circumcised physically, what's this circumcision of Christ? Well, if you learned anything, listen to KFUO. Scripture interprets Scripture. So look at the surrounding verses, and you'll often find the answer of what Paul is talking about through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So, what does he say? That we were putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, listen to verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You see, in baptism, and this is why we call it a holy sacrament, this is a means by which we are now part of the family of God. And being part of the family of God, we get tremendous benefits. And listen to verse 13 as to one of the benefits. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Now, I don't really think many Christians are able to explain what is the forgiveness of trespasses. 
If, if somebody would ask you, how were your sins forgiven? Well, you could talk about Jesus dying on the cross, but how did that forgive sins? What kind of process was involved? It is answered in verse 14. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legals, legal demands. God canceled the debt you owed him. In the day that you die, I'm sorry, in the day that you sin, you could die eternally in hell. That's the debt we owe him. He canceled it. Why'd he cancel it? Keep on going. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I mean, you can't hardly ever talk about how we are saved without mentioning the cross of Christ because it is the crucifixion that saves us. The resurrection is God's nod to us that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient. And see, this is kind of an interesting way of looking at our sins. When you sin, you owe God a penalty. It's kind of like you take your Visa card and you buy an item. Well, guess what? You're going to get a bill and you're going to owe it. Can, can you imagine that your Visa card writes you and indicates you have no more debt because we canceled it. And you'll ask them, oh, why did you cancel my debt? Oh, we just felt loving at the time. <laughs> Jesus canceled your debt because he so loved you that he gave his only begotten self to die on the cross, nailing it to the cross. That, that's found in Luke 15 when Jesus picks up the lost sheep, puts it on his shoulders, and with joy, he takes it home. That word joy is found in Hebrews, for the joy that is set before him, he despised the shame. He went to the way of the cross. It's at the cross that your sins, the debt you owed, were canceled. Jesus paid the debt. What were the words where he paid the debt. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, that's what would have happened in eternal hell had we not come to faith and believed in Jesus Christ. There is just so much in this Colossians chapter 2. Now we started at verse 6, and we're only at verse 14. And there's so much more you can take a look at. A lot of times what I do, I'll take a portion of the text, but am unable to do a proper sermon on the whole text, just on that portion. And then in the Bible study, we'll open up the bulletins that normally has the Bible study reading in it and continue to go down and look at other parts. But I always like taking out the part that best describes law and gospel. And you can't get a better description of how we are freed from the consequences of breaking the law 
than Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. What Jesus did, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. But God just didn't do this for no reason. He did it justly by the Father having his only begotten Son crucified for you. Does that make any sense? No, not at all. Yet Christians the world over and for generations were willing to die for that because the Holy Spirit created faith in them to believe that as absolutely true. We do not need reason to convince us of what God says. We only need his word. And when we hear his word through faith in Jesus Christ, we believe it. And God looks at us and forgives us our sins in the sense of canceling our debt. On tomorrow's Long Gospel... We're going to be taking a look at a hymn that is kind of based on the Lord's Prayer since that's part of the readings for this coming Sunday. We'll be joining with Mark Smith. Join us tomorrow. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.